Hello there, good day everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Merge Worlds, the Dungeons and Dragons story podcast series. Uh, welcome back, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, today we will be continuing our story from exactly where we left off. We will uh, do a little bit of recouping on that, but I do want to say thank you to everybody who, uh, who has been sending uh, so many questions uh, about uh, Merged Worlds and the characters and the story. Um, getting a lot of interesting feedback, uh, positive feedback, people enjoying the story, so I really do appreciate that. Uh, both here and on the uh, podcast networks, both iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, all of those, uh, Merged Worlds is available as well there as it is uh, as a video podcast series here on YouTube. So thank you to everyone who's followed and given it five stars and rated it thumbs up or likes or whatever it is. Uh, I do appreciate all of the wonderful feedback. Thank you very much. Um, so today, um, like I just mentioned, we're going to continue from where we left off. Uh, in last week's episode, uh, we were back in Serenity. Um, as we've covered before, um, with the new potential threat or uh, partnership, I guess, um, with Oromon, with the Emperor himself coming to Serenity um, to, I guess you could say, sue for peace. Uh, or perhaps a partnership uh, to show that he was he and his kingdom were not a threat to serenity. Um, it caused a lot of concern in the minds of Mercy and the uh, other leaders and rulers of that area, especially in serenity. And so it led them to finally reveal to their spouses uh, the information that they had learned years earlier from the mysterious man in the hat who turned out to be uh, Deacon Firemoon, uh, who had come back in time from the future to make sure that Seraph made the right choice. And that's really what this in, uh, entire storyline here is going to at this point, is that at some point in the future, Seraph will be forced to make a choice. And that choice, whichever, uh, is going to determine the fate of every living person on Merged Worlds. Although they don't know what that is, uh, future Deacon had come back to make sure that um, Seraph's nemesis, Vincentius Firemoon, who's Deacon's cousin and son of Nilat Firemoon, who had also come back uh, from the future, uh, was unable to pervert Seraph's path into making the wrong choice uh, and in, in some way gaining power for himself. Um, it was a lot to take in for those characters, but no one took it harder than Draven, who has spent the last 20-plus years searching for the man in the hat, mysterious uh, future deacon, assuming him to be the threat to Seraph's life, um, only to find out what was really going on. And so he had basically left Serenity. You could some say in a huff, uh, but he needed time to uh, see what was going on. And uh, while he, after he left, uh, Mercy received visitors uh, from the city of Kenderholm, uh, which was several, oh, oh, several days, close to a week, uh, northeast, uh, sorry, northwest of Serenity. Um, and it's a small Kender town or city um, that you could say our allies are not officially part of the southern kingdoms. Um, or that Southern Kingdom's alliance, but 
they are um, friendly and welcome. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to... They don't have a, a, a super strict political structure, so it's hard to get things like treaties and such with Kender. But uh, their current leader had arrived, letting them know that um, there had been some potential fatalities to Kender in the area because a large beholder had been sighted a short distance north of Kender home. Uh, a beholder being an incredibly powerful creature. For those of you who may not know what a beholder is, imagine a giant floating ball that has a massive eyeball in the center and then a huge mouth of, of just sharp, jagged teeth. It makes up the large part of the bottom of its head. There are multiple tentacles coming off the top of its head, uh, kind of like you'd expect uh, with snakes and a classic medusa, but at the end of each one is another smaller eyeball. Uh, there are many different types of beholders, but very many of them um, are very intelligent. So they're not just a monster out there. They are a calculating, some of them genius level. There are some animalistic ones as well, but uh, some of them are genius level um, creatures. And all of them, in one way or another, to varying degrees, have uh, a multitude of magical abilities. Um, on the most traditional of beholders, the central eye basically casts a spell, and each individual eye stock can cast a different one. Um, with the most devastating being a disintegrate spell. Because disintegrate literally ceases you from existing. Um, it is one of the few things that it is believed destroys not only the body but the soul. There is no way to be brought back to life from a disintegrate spell. Uh, in the history of at least the merged world's uh, canon, it has never happened. So... Uh, that makes them incredibly uh, deadly and difficult to fight. So Beholder being this close to not only Kenderhome, but Serenity itself, uh, makes a, for a very potentially high threat to Serenity. Um, while, again, of course, they do want to help the Kender and help protect them from any type of problems, uh, it's also in their best efforts to deal with a threat of that nature before the thing happens to move south into Serenity's lands, and Serenity's people are threatened as well. Uh, Mercy believes there may be more to this than just a rogue beholder popping up, though what she believes or how is something that she hasn't revealed to anyone else yet, but she did specifically ask for help from the Mage Tower of Serenity from a specific mage, a very powerful mage, but a mage who's known for uh, his profession, his uh, specific trade of craft, is wards and seals of protection and things of that nature. And when he arrived, uh, just a quick look at him and him looking at Mercy, Mercy could see that he was thinking the same thing she is, even though it was never discussed. So they headed north to deal with this threat, taking with them uh, several of the Knights of Serenity, of course, several soldiers, uh, Dandy and Michael joined. Artemis came with her personal guard, Percy, and several other uh, high-ranking Templars to be her protection, um, as well as several mages uh, from the Mage Tower. So, Oh, and Darsh, of course, Fohammer himself, happens to be there because he was there uh, you know, helping give the information to the spouses of what they'd learned from Elder Deacon. Um, and so an opportunity for so just sitting there on his hands twiddling his thumbs to uh, help Mercy and, and the people of Serenity. So he's with them as well. So they're traveling north. But the last thing that happened was uh, we found that 
Draven was days away from Serenity at a, a campsite, a place that he frequents on occasion, um, that's known only to him and Seraph. And he was there in meditation waiting. And sure enough, what he expected came to be. Um, the man in the hat appeared, um, knowing Draven would be there waiting for him. Uh, and one of the last things we said was, uh, it's time you and I had a chat. So that's where we're going to be starting off today. Now we're going to be starting with quite a bit of reading today. Um, I've got uh, uh, a lot of it. My hand hurts. Very cramped from all the writing. Uh, but um, interestingly, I, I barely touched on this in the past, but I want to mention it. Um, the reading parts of Merged Worlds is, is the parts that I find the most challenging to write. Um, because it's like writing it out in a book form, right? Um, and I don't know if I, I would consider myself a, a, a good writer by any means, but I'm very proud of my storytelling ability. I think that the, the stories I tell in this type of format to people come across better than when they're written. So sometimes I feel like the uh, pre-written stuff can seem a bit robotic, maybe, is the term I'm looking for. Um, uh, so I have been known to sometimes change it a little bit on the fly as I'm coming across it, and I'm like, I don't like the way that looks, I'm going to say it differently. Um, but uh, it does give me the ability to at least make sure that specific thoughts and things that I want to address uh, get covered and I don't accidentally miss over them just reading it from memory, right? Um, but I was explaining to my wife, I was like, I have eight pages of reading. That could take 15 minutes. I have two pages of bullet points. That could take an hour to tell the story of. So the writing part takes a lot more time to get it down and flow correctly than just bullet points of what I need to then vamp and tell you guys the story uh, based on those reminders of things I need to do. So um, I like to have some of both in every episode if I can, just because I think it's, it, it offers a, a good mix of different storytelling styles. But we're going to start off with a, a little chunk of reading today, and that chunk of reading uh, is between Draven and the man in the hat. The two men sat in silence for several minutes. Draven was conflicted. He thought he knew what he wanted to say, but now that the time had come, he was unsure. There were things he needed to know. Whether the man in the hat would or could tell him was yet to be seen. Should I call you Deacon? He asked, finally. It seems odd to refer to you as anything else. You may, replied Deacon. The time for illusions is long past. Another moment of silence. Is it true, the things you told them, asked Draven, what you said about Seraph? It is, Deacon replied calmly. The importance of Seraph's path and the need for him to make the right choice is paramount. The lives of millions, the existence of this entire world depends on it. And should he make the wrong choice, you will kill him, Draven said. Yes, said Deacon. I will. I have fought by his side for centuries, helped him defend this world from threats and dangers you cannot begin to fathom. I, more than any other person alive, know the true extent of the powers he wields, and the depth of the darkness within him that he struggles against daily. 
He is my friend, my brother, and my sire. But if he makes the wrong choice, I will kill him without hesitation. Or at least, I will try. Draven's eyes grew slightly wider at this confession. Even as powerful as you are, you don't think you can? Even with the crystal dagger? Now you remember that Deacon from the future revealed to Artemis and Mercy and them that he had the crystal dagger. The crystal dagger was a weapon, one of the three artifacts needed to, uh, that Draven was searching for in order to defeat his brother way back in the early days of Merge World. Daedalus uh, was the uh, enemy and the, and the person they were trying to, to destroy. And at the end of it, they learned that using the crystal dagger, which is in, while it looks very light and glass and very fragile, is nigh indestructible. And it has the ability, if using the correct command word, to absorb essences into it. So if I was to put the blade of it into a fire, or just set the whole thing in the fire and say the command word, take the blade out, the blade would now have flames on it. As the wielder, you are immune to that. I, even though it may look my whole hand's on fire, I would not feel any flames from that, but these flames would burn as hot as any fire possible. Um, if, I could, if acid, dip it in acid, did something like that, poisons, same type of thing. As wielder of that blade, as long as I'm holding that blade, wielding it, just having it tucked in my belt's a little different, wielding that blade makes me immune to whatever is in that blade. Now, I have been asked... Will it make you immune to that item from another source? And the answer to that question is no. If I'm holding the blade and it's got flames in it, that's the essence, it's absorbed, and it's a flamey dagger, and then someone shoots me with a fireball spell, the fireball spell still is going to burn me. The blade only offers immunity to its own ability, its own power of essence that it's absorbed at that time, but not from an external source. If I had acid in the dagger. I can't jump and swim through a pool of acid. It's going to eat me away like, the, like normal. But the blade's acid, even if it was to drip across my hands, will not harm me. So, just wanted to make that clear. And it's determined that he has that blade. Deacon from the future has that blade with him. It was given to him by Artemis and them in the future, which shocks Artemis, because Artemis didn't know what happened to that blade. At the end of the fight with Daedalus, what happened was his they had to basically stab Draven in the chest with that dagger and absorb his blood. It was his blood that was the only thing that could weaken Daedalus long enough for them to kill him. Um, and so after that battle ended, the blade had mysteriously disappeared. Now, we have very since recently learned what truly happened to that blade in the interim, but at the time it had disappeared. So when they found out that Future Deacon had this and it still has Draven's blood in it, the fear is, of course reverting back to what all of this is based on to begin with. And that's the original prophecy. The prophecy that was spoken by Draven's mother before Draven was born. And the lines of the prophecy that are known are, For the last of your lines shall be a great king, for he shall be the child of destiny. And only the blood of his kin can destroy him. Daedalus, Draven's brother, was slaughtered all of his family, thinking that if he was the last one to live, he'd be this great king. Losing all the ones he loved, Draven avenged, killed him. Seraph was born. The prophecy, at, to this point, including from everyone, including Elder Deacon, 
has said, yes, this prophecy for sure was not about you, Draven. It's about Sarah. So if that dagger does in fact have Draven's blood in it, that could be how the prophecy could be fulfilled if that dagger was used to kill Sarah. Draven now knows that Deacon has that dagger. Artemis told him that. So he's saying, you're as powerful as you are. Because Draven's powerful. And yet in the one situation he had a chance to fight Elder Deacon, Deacon basically mopped to the floor with him. And not just him. With Michael as well, who's a very accomplished fighter with an artifact of his own, which works against things that are undead, of which Deacon in the future technically is, because that re that goes back to our a reference a moment ago where he says, he is my friend, my brother, and my sire. Because at some point, although it's not happened yet, at some point, Seraph is going to turn Deacon. While Seraph was born as he is, it is believed that Draven's people, Draven's father's people, were the origins of what became known as modern vampirism. And that he, they have the ability to create that. And that's been proven because Daedalus, who was a full-blooded uh, of that race, did create other vampires. And while most of those vampires uh, were just what we would consider traditional vampires, we have learned that one of them that he created, a little bit more juice than he gave the others, was Shastra, the prophet of the tribals. Uh, a young girl who originally was a prophet who lost all that when she died and was converted. But she survived the sun. She has some immunities to what traditionally kills a vampire because she's so close to um, an original sire. So Deacon gained a lot of the powers supposedly from Sarah, who, if all is believed, is going to be drastically more powerful than Draven or anyone else's. And so Deacon has some of that power, which would only imply that Seraph is even more powerful. So he's like, even as powerful as you are, with that dagger, you're not sure if you could take him. So that's what all that means. That's a big roundabout way, but I wanted to cover all that. Deacon side. Even centuries later, there is still some confusion as to parts of the prophecy. Seraph, the seraph from my time, believes the dagger filled with your blood wielded by my hand is the only thing that can kill him. The blood of his father, the blood of his child. Child in the sense that he created him and his blood now flows through Seraph. So, supposedly, Seraph of the future says, this is what I've worked out. This is all that can get me. You must understand, Deacon continues, that Seraph's enemies are numerous, but no, none more than Vicentius. But they are numerous, and there have been literally hundreds of attempts on his life over the years, each one failing. No matter what is done to him, or how badly he is hurt or injured, something or someone somehow always intercedes to save him. Now, I want to clarify that. He doesn't mean someone shows up and says, I'll save you, uh, which that could be the case sometimes. It's that something always happens, right? Um, it's kind of like being overwhelmingly lucky, right? Oh, look, a dollar on the floor. You bend over to pick it up, and, you know, 
the bullet goes over your head, right? Or the arrow goes over your head because you just happen to duck at that last minute. Or, or you see someone you know, so you take a couple steps to say hi, and the piano falls from the sky and hits the ground where you were standing had you not, you know. Some type of event, something always happens. And sometimes it could be a person showing up at the right time. Sometimes it could be something, you know, outside of the control of man. But something always happens to keep him alive. And we've addressed that back when we had um, Vincentius traveling with, 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 Dr- with Seraph, right? He was in the caves and he was looking at that. He'd been warned by his elder self from the future, Elder Vincentius, who is Seraph's nemesis, who's been trying to kill him. And he did touch on something special, that they've been trying to kill each other. And that it's believed that only Seraph would ever be able to actually kill Vincentius. But the same kind of thing happens. They, they just can't seem to kill each other. Something's keeping that from happening. Whether it's true or just the odds of fate. Who knows? But something is causing that. So, something always keeps him alive. So there's another silence while Draven absorbed this information. Finally, Draven says, Why did you keep all of this from me? Why could you tell the others, but not me? Why did you choose for 20 years to let me chase you across the world, putting all that time and effort into finding you and believing you to be the threat to my son and my family for absolutely nothing? All that time was wasted. when I could have trained him better. I could have helped him prepare better. He wouldn't have to be out there right now all alone. Deacon looks a little sad at this. That is exactly the very reason why you, more than anyone else, needed to be kept in the dark. Already too much has happened that could alter his path. With every deviation, the chance he will make the wrong choice increases. You, Draven, are the biggest threat to him succeeding. He has to learn who he is and what he is and what he is capable of on his own. Your protection and coddling could have ruined that. He had to leave Serenity without you. Alone with my younger self and Mugen, he will learn what he needs to. He will be hurt, and he will be betrayed. He will know love, and he will know loss, and he will make great, great mistakes. His experiences will forge him into the man we need him to be. Already, he has grown stronger than I would have expected by this time, though I'm not sure if that is for good or ill. What I do know is he couldn't do any of it if you were there with him. So that's a little peek behind the curtain there. That's a little something that, at this moment, Deacon is saying to Draven, and it's first time he's mentioned that. Right now, at this moment. Which would imply that Deacon from the future knows where Seraph is. Right? If he knows right now he's more powerful than he should be at this moment. He's gaining in power faster than he would have in the original timeline. Whether that's a good or bad thing, I don't know. Because it is a deviation, but we do need him to be powerful to do what we need him to do. So it could be good. So that's kind of a thing he's touching on there. Draven, of course, bows his head in sorrow. 
To know he was a threat to his son's survival was devastating. He couldn't help but fear his actions may have already had dire consequences. Not a day went by that Draven didn't dwell on the last time they'd spoken. Draven regretted the things he'd said, and even more so the things he'd done. He'd give anything to be able to take it back. He could only ask himself, even now, did Seraph remember him only with hatred? When Draven lifted his head, there were blood tears on his face. Side effect of being his race, they cry blood. We've talked about it. Will he find Dina? Draven asked. Can you tell me that? Deacon's eyes narrowed, and he stared at Draven a moment. Yes, he finally said. By now he has already found her. She is with him, yet their path leads them further away from serenity. Thank you, said Draven. An unexpected wave of relief washed through him. I'm glad that he has found her. He loves her as I do his mother. I know, what I, was I know what I was willing to do to get her back. Even if it means I may never get to see my son again, I can at least take solace that he will be able to have that love in his life for whatever time they have. So he's referencing a couple things there. The last time we were going to war, we're running the Oh, you're okay, Lex. I haven't even touched on that side of the story yet. Right now, Draven is speaking to the man in the hat. Draven is speaking man hat. Yes. So we're kind of having their first chat. That's what we're talking about right now. So again, he's touched on a couple things there, right? He says that I love his mother and I knew what I, what I was willing to do to get her back because he did some stuff. You remember when him and little kid Tevin went through that portal back to Draven's father's home world and then they came back months later. They were gone for decades of time on that world. And when they returned, right, um, he had done some gnarly stuff to be able to get the power he needed to come back to Artemis. And he knew Artemis was pregnant, would be his, his child. So he did a lot of stuff, some of it maybe not so good. Uh, we've never gone into overwhelming detail on that, but there are a lot of side stories like that that I'd love to tell. But I know, of course, all the details. I know what happened. I've, I've shared them with some folks. Uh, if there's interest in that, once in a while I might do offshoot stories talking about segments of time where the characters are away doing their own thing but maybe give a little more detail in that. Because I have all of Draven's storyline written. I know what he did from the moment of birth through whatever. <laughs> I wrote that a long time ago. So again, he says, you know... Um, and the other thing he says is, I'm glad they have that love for whatever time they have. Now, he's not saying that ominously. He's stating it from the fact that Seraph is going to be very long-living, right? His mom is an elf. They live for thousands of years. Seraph's, or sorry, uh, Draven's race lives even longer than that. And Draven's half that race, half demon, which demon lifelines are unknown. There's so many different types, and he doesn't really know the, the, that much details of his mind. He knows some, but it hasn't been revealed in the story yet. Uh, maybe he's not the chosen one. That is part of it. That's correct. There are, there are things that hold him from that happening. 
So he said, you know, at least they have each other, even if I'll never get to see him again. At least I know he's out there and he has the opportunity to share that type of love for at least the time they have together because she will die long, long before he does. Just of old age. If nothing else bad happens and they live, you know, there's still time together is going to seem very short and limited by Seraph's light, potential uh, lifespan. After a moment, Deacon spoke. I assure you, Draven, you will see your son again. Draven's face was a mixture of relief and hope. You still have an incredibly important role to play in all of this, Deacon continued. When the day comes that Seraph must face the darkness that will determine his and all of our fates, you will be standing by his side. He will need you and Artemis and all of those who love and cherish him. We will need, he will need your love and your support and your forgiveness. He cannot prevail without you. What is mercy? Uh, human. Mercy is human. So he says, you know, he's saying, you're going to be there when shit hits the fan. The day that your son has to face whatever this horrible thing is, you're going to be there by his side. He's going to need you. He's going to need his mom. He's going to need his friends. He's going to need your friends. He's going to need everybody who loves and has supported him through this entire debacle. He needs all of you there if he's to have any chance of doing the right thing. So that's a great relief. He's like, I'm going to get to see my son again. And he may be going through some sh you know, crap right now. But when the final time comes, I have a chance to be there for him. I have a chance of helping him still make the right decision. And that means a lot to him, of course. Memory says, you have still an incredibly important part to play, is what he just said to Draven, right? Mercy is a cleric. Uh, no, Mercy is a, is a fighter. You're thinking about Artemis. So Artemis is Draven's wife. She is an elf, full-blooded elf. She's a cleric of healing. Mercy is the queen of serenity. She's human as well as her husband, Ulrich. Dandy is a kender and... Uh, Darsh is a Minotaur. Those are the four main main players. So you, I think you might be mixing up Mercy and Artemis. So Artemis is Seraph's mother, Draven's wife. She is Elf. Yeah, I think you're just mixing the two up there. Gotcha, yeah. Definitely like to clarify those things, yeah. But Mercy is human, so she is ruled by a, a human queen, uh, king and queen. So he's saying to Draven, a very important part to play, all right? I'm going to build on that. That is why I'm here today, said Deacon. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I skipped this spot. I'm sorry. Cannot prevail without you. Uh, the tears flowed freely from Draven's eyes. Deacon stepped around the fire and knelt beside him. That is why I'm here today, said Deacon, to ensure you do what is needed. Tell me, do you still have it? Is it safe? And did you hide it like Artemis told you to? It took a moment for Draven to realize what Deacon was asking him. But finally he did. Yes, said Draven, the sword. I have put it somewhere where no one could ever find it. I promise you, it is safe. Deacon nodded and stood back up. Good. It must stay there until it's needed. So, for those of you who may not be here in the early days, there were... Um, there was a time way back early in Merge Worlds where through 
events, Artemis came across the sword, and she was told that this sword was super important to her son's future. It's a sword and across the hill. It was a very plain sword in a scabbard, and she couldn't remove it from the scabbard. It will not pull out for her. And there's writing on across the hilt in a language she does not recognize at all, almost like a runic type language. But even though she didn't understand it, she knew that it meant destiny. That's the word that it stood for. And she was told that she was to take this sword back with her. Basically, you are the it's like you are the finder. You must take it to the. Or say it back. You're the seeker. Must take it to the finder. Give it to the protector until the bearer needs it. And so Artemis knew immediately, okay, I have to take this back and give it to Draven and tell him to hide this until one day Seraph needs it. And you can be sure Draven and everybody else tried to as well, but no one can pull the sword from the sheath. It is. It doesn't even look like it can. It looks like it's one solid piece. So it's very confusing. It doesn't look like a usable sword, but a sword nonetheless. Uh, do Draven's parents, are they alive? They are not. So Draven's father... Uh, was the king of that world of born vampires and such, who was ki- who was killed by his older brother in his conquest to be the last of that bloodline to become the king of the universe kind of thing. Um, when Draven and his mother found out about this, they returned to that world, uh, at which point, I've mentioned this briefly as part of that Draven storyline, where people found out that Draven was still a surviving son um, and the world was in like c- civil war at this point. Those people who were fighting against um, Daedalus's uh, taking over the world, and like, oh, you're a son too? Well, then technically you could be king if we defeat your evil older brother. And during those battles and those wars, Daedalus killed his mother. So his mother, who was a, who was a, a demon, died. Her power was the... She had several powers, but the main one was she had the ability to open up portals between worlds and dimensions. Um, And while he did not gain the ability to do that, he does have the ability to close portals that have been created in that nature. So if he came across a portal that a demon or some that, that type of magic was used to open it, there's a chance he could close it, much like he did the portal that Daedalus had created, trying to bring his followers into merged worlds. Um... His mother's other main and primary power, the reason that she was sought after, is she had a very strong gift gift of prophecy. Uh, Hence, she was the one that gave the prophecy that they originally thought was going to be Draven, but turned out to be about Seraph. Um, And so, it was the murder of his mother that, you know, he was already fighting Daedalus, but that's what enraged him. And he was literally fighting his brother when the merge happened, and they were both pulled into Merged World, but separated great distances. And so he'd spent his time trying to find his brother to finish what he started to kill his brother. And avenge the death of his parents. So no, both of his parents are 100% dead. There's no coming back. There's no surprise they're still alive out there. They are 100% dead. (laughs) I've had people ask that. Oh, maybe they're still out there. No, no, no. I promise. They are dead. I'm not bringing them back. Uh... Parents being a spoiling great grandparent with Draven's son. Yeah, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. <laughs> but so Artemis has this sword, brought it back to Draven, said, You have to hide it. It's super important until the day our son needs it for whatever. I don't know how or when, but you got to make sure it's safe. So he did. He took it somewhere and hid it where no one would find it. In fact, the vast majority of people trying to get it would die trying. That's the only information that he gave Artemis because Artemis didn't want to know. 
It was important that no one know where this is except for Draven. So when the day came that Seraph needed it, Draven could tell him and Seraph could go get it. But it couldn't take chance anyone else knew and that got leaked out or got tortured from them or any of that. The sword is that important. But Draven only heard this second hand, of course, from Artemis. This is what I was told. I had this thing, you know, kind of thing. So, of course, now he's going to ask the most logical question. Why is the sword so important? Asked Draven. No one has even been able to draw it. So he's saying, okay, yes, I've got the sword, and, and Deacon looks a little relieved. He's like, good, you have to keep it hidden until it's needed. He's like, all right, cool, I did that. It's protected. No one can get to it but me, and even I would have a hard time getting back to it. Because that's true. No, no one's ever known where it is. I've not told you guys. That's for later. <laughs> but he says, why is it so important? And this is very important as well. For the first time, Deacon looked nervous and seemed at a loss for words. Honestly, I have no idea, said Deacon. I have never seen it, nor did I know of its existence until the night before I was sent back here. In our last discussion, Seraph told me several things I'd never known. Things he assured me were critical, though he would not tell me why. They worry me, because they are themselves deviations from his original path. But I trust him, and he told me these changes were needed to set things right. So that's a huge piece of information right there, right? I don't know. I've never seen this sword. I've never heard of this sword. Didn't know about it before the day Sarah said, Hey, Vincentius has gone back to try to pervert my path. I'm sending you to try to keep me on my path. That's your job. Right? And if that fails, I need you to take me out. Because it's Seraph that sent him back to kill him. Seraph's like, I know what can happen if I choose wrong. We can't let that happen to the world. I'm trusting you because you're the only one who loves me enough that I can trust would actually do this. But Deacon's saying, I've never seen this sword and didn't know it existed. Which means whatever happened originally when the choice was made that determined this and that or so on, it would imply the sword had nothing to do with it at that time. The sword wasn't involved. Or if it was, it was involved in a way that Deacon didn't know it was involved. And that seems strange. It's a deviation from the original path. The thing that he's mostly here to try to stop from happening. But this deviation, as well as a couple of others, because there are three, <laughs> these, these, Sarah's saying, but these are important. You have to make sure that these three actually happen. So, there's that, right? So there's, there, there's that whole process. It's like, this is what's going on. So the sword and what it is or how it's going to be used this time, it's implied could be different than the original. Uh, Lex asks, we play D&D, &D, we can bring someone back with time travel without breaking the timeline and have both Draven's parents alive, but that's not good character. Well, that's true, but the only way to travel through time is, and this is not this is a merge role thing, I know that in D&D &D there are time-traveling spells, but the time, time itself is overseen in merge worlds by the Keeper. The keeper is, at this point, um, Tobias, was their friend, was a human mage who ascended to become 
the keeper chosen by the goddess of time. Um, and Deacon has implied that he would, was only able to come back in time because of help from Tobias. Which opens the door, meaning that's also the only way Vincentius could have come back. Now, he never explained why. Did he manage to somehow come back in time without Tobias? Without his knowledge? Uh, did Tobias, the keeper of time, help him and Deacon come back? Why would he help both sides? Well, if he didn't send back Elder Vincentius, there'd be no reason to send back Elder Deacon. So there's that piece, the time travel piece of this, is still in play. As to why that would be allowed to happen, even Deacon, future Deacon, doesn't know. It is implied that Seraph in the future knows, and so does Tobias, why this has happened. Why this was allowed to happen. But as for regular time travel, not just anybody can travel in time. Uh, for all intents and purposes, the time travel regular spell has been removed from Merge Worlds, as have some other spells. As I've, as I've been building the Merge Worlds universe for play as Dungeons & Dragons. There's new spells and abilities I've created. It's, it's very homebrew. And there's some spells and things that were taken out. Um, in the very early days of Merged Worlds, uh, you'll remember that no one could come in and out of Merged Worlds at all, right? There was a shield that was blocking it. There was a, a, a magical shield that blocked it so the gods could send their spells through to, to, their, to their followers, but they couldn't enter into the world and they couldn't, and, and demons that were on the world couldn't get out. Demons couldn't get in. Um, it wasn't until Mercy and their and their friends uh, were successful in unlocking the central gate at the source, which is at the very center of flo an island floating over a giant hole in the ocean that water comes up out of. Um, and that's when Omniana, the elder gods, were found to have been hiding inside of those magical artifacts uh, for hundreds of thousands of years since the beginning of the existence of this universe um, and had been slowly affecting the world with their follower the uh, demigod Zoltan um, a watcher god had been affecting the, the, the worlds to cause the merge world effect to happen to create this new world um, so until that happened even spells that could summon things or uh, send things back, none of those spells worked because the shield overrode them all. So there was some stuff like, maybe Tobias was bored, Lex says. Well, that's true. Yeah, maybe, maybe he made a bet, right? He didn't make a bet, but that'd be funny. So then, uh, but he said, but basically back here, she says, yes, uh, but I trust him. So if he says that this has to happen, these changes are needed in order to set things right, I'm going to believe him. And... Deacon's thoughts there to make things right are to fix the things Vincentius and maybe even he coming back and changing things have caused. It's going to take these things to weigh that scale to get things back on track where they need to be for Seraph to make the right choice. What are the other deviations? Asked Draven. Deacon hesitated, but finally spoke. I can tell you only this. You have gained a powerful ally, though you do not know it. If what Seraph has told me is true, he could be the difference between victory and defeat, though only time will tell. You must watch for him, Draven. You will know him when the time is right. 
so he's saying, hey, you've got an ally out there you don't know about. And this ally is powerful. And if he is, in fact, a deviation, that would imply this is an ally that may not have been there the first time. This is an ally that's going to help offset some of whatever else has been done to throw Seraph off the right path. Here's someone new stepping in, and you're going to know him when you need him. You're going to know him when you see him. This is who you're looking for. you got to watch for him, but you'll know him when you see him. But that's all he'll give about it. Can't give any more specifics, because again, he's not trying to mess things up. So what do I do now? In the meantime, asked Draven, what can we do to help Seraph? This is great, because he's accepting it. He's like, okay, what you're telling me is it. I can't run off and help my son. Great. But what can I do to help Seraph? If all this is coming, there's got to be something I can be doing that somehow in the long run is going to help all this. Deacon nods. You must live, Draven. You must go forward and do what must be done. Or what you feel, or sorry, do what you feel is right and do not let the potential consequences of those actions stay your hand. Follow your instincts and remember that the knowledge I have given you was never meant to be yours. You must not let it change you if we are to help Sarah stay on the correct path. He is depending on all of you. So you need to get out there and you need to, number one, you got to stay alive. If you're going to be there at the end to help him, like I just told you you're going to be, you have to stay alive to do it. Right? And number two, when you are doing things, you can't be in your own head going, oh, how's this going to do But What about this? And I know this and that. You weren't supposed to have any of this knowledge about the time and the future and so on. You have to go with your instincts. What would you have done if you didn't have that knowledge? You have to try to stay as true to the original path as you possibly can, which is not going to be easy, but it's something that they have to try to do in order to make this work. He then continues and says, Serenity will face threats and dangers of its own, but it must survive. It must forever be a beacon of light in this world. Even as we speak, your love and her friends march towards a threat far beyond what they are expecting. And it will not be the last. Forces work against you, trying to hurt Seraph through your suffering. <laughs> right now, your wife and their friends are traveling towards something way worse than they're expecting to find. And this won't be the last time this happens. Draven was on his feet in an instant. Where are they? I must help them, of course. That's a guy. Where is, where is this danger? Deacon held his hand out to silence him. You will not reach them in time. We must hope that they can handle it themselves. You must return to serenity. Some may use this as a diversion to strike you at your home. You must protect serenity at all costs. Draven quickly began packing his things. So, you know, he turns, he starts grabbing his bedroll. He's been there five days. Maybe he got fire, grab his drinking bottle, whatever the case is. He starts throwing stuff in his backpack. I got to get going one way or another. Begin packing his things. What about you? Where will you be? How do I reach you if I need to? You know, he's behind him, but he's still talking to him. You won't be able to, replied Deacon. From this day forward, we will never see each other again until the day of choice. I have done all I can do to ensure Seraph walks the right path. There is nothing left for me but waiting and praying. And praying Seraph makes the right choice. 
I wish you all the best, Draven. Our future is in all of your hands now. Don't let us down. Draven put the last of his items in his pack and turned to find that Deacon was no longer there. And he was alone. The man in the hat was gone, and all that remained were his words. Draven vowed to protect his family in serenity. Knowing he would see his son again was everything to him. Draven vowed to make sure that when Seraph needed them, they would be ready. And as for this mysterious new ally Deacon had spoken of, Draven would watch and listen closely. When he revealed himself, Draven would find him and bring him to Seraph. Draven began making his way north through the trees at a pace no human could ever hope to match, heading directly towards Serenity. His family was in danger. So Deacon, Elder Deacon, has said, this is the last time any of you are ever going to see me. I've done all I can do. At this point, it's in the hands of you and Seraph, the rest of your group, and the gods themselves. Now I have to wait until the day of choice. That'll be the first time you hear that, that referenced as the day of choice. I have to wait and hope that all of this goes the way we want it to. <sighs> Sorry, I was thirsty. It's imperative that they know that things are going to try to use their suffering and their pain and potentially their deaths to hurt Seraph. Right? So... That's what Draven's now and his friends are responsible for doing, to protect Serenity and each other so that way they can be there to give Seraph the help he needs when the time comes. They have much to do. Although, you know, they would have all done that anyways, right? Protecting Serenity is kind of what they do. So Draven's making his way north, back towards Serenity. And while this is going on, Mercy and her people have now passed Kenderhome. All right, they've traveled past Ken around. They took a wide berth for everybody's safety. They went around Kenderhome, and are now entering into the area where the beholder was reported to be seen. They've traveled days to go around Kenderhome. Added Kenderhome added time to the trip that they really didn't want, but they still felt was for the best. Um, and they managed to circumvent it without running into any Kender. And also without running into any signs of the Beholder. Which in itself could be a good thing. You know, they don't want to miss it or pass it some way. But if by some chance it decided to just make a beeline right through Kenderhome, there's that possibility. So that's a, that's a fear that Mercy has in her mind. What if, you know, we're going around here and it goes the other way around or right through because it just doesn't care about a bunch of Kender. And now we're chasing it trying to get back to Serenity in time if that in, in fact is an issue. But they're moving forward on the hope that whatever this is isn't specifically targeting Serenity. There's nothing that at this point would lead them to believe that. At this point, it's just a potential threat to Serenity. So once they started reaching the area where the uh, other candidates said, okay, this is where it was seen, they start moving slower. Um, and they do have several scouts with them, Dandy being one of the most primary ones, um, staying ahead of the group, uh, Michael as well at times, uh, to try and, you know, keep an eye out or find any type of signs that the Beholder would be there. And they spend quite a bit of time doing so without any success. Uh, which, again, not necessarily a bad thing. If the Beholder had decided to just bumble off in a completely different direction, it's not that they want this type of trouble to be someone else's, but 
you know, they can't be completely heartbroken if it decides to wander off into the mountains or anything. But it is Dandy who unfortunately stumbles across the very first sign. While scouting ahead, about midday, <clears throat> she begins to smell it before she sees it. Dandy is all too familiar with the smell of death. Um, and can tell that it's fresh. Moving very, very quietly and carefully through the woods, as quietly as she can, which is pretty much near silent. In woods, which isn't easy, right? Leaves and underbrush and things. She makes her way towards where she believes the smell is coming from. What she discovers is the corpse of a very large bear. Huge bear. Brown bear. Grizzly. Corpse, well, is, is, a, is an odd description because two-thirds of the bear appear to be gone. And I don't mean that it's been eaten away and there's bones and stuff there. It's like something bit it in close to half. Um, and <clears throat> while it's a very clean break, it's not smooth like magic or a laser or anything like that. There's definitely teeth jagged marks in there. Something massive jawed bit this bear in twain. Dandy estimates that the bear has only been dead for a few hours. Um, and from what little she can tell, at least by the way the bear is laying and such, it's possible that the bear was fully alive when it was bit this way. It wasn't that whatever it was killed the bear. There's no other signs, at least on the part of body that's left, of any type of uh, damage or cuts or claw bites or scratches or anything that would imply it put up any kind of a fight. So Dandy quickly returns back to the group and tells what she's found to Mercy and Darsh and Artemis and everyone else. Um, they're, of course, disappointed to hear this is the case. Definitely this leads them to believe the Beholder is still in this area. Um, while it doesn't completely negate the, the, the danger that there could be something else really big in this area. A dragon could have done something just like that and probably several other larger creatures. Uh, but they're operating under the assumption that this is most likely uh, caused by the beholder. Hi, Buffy. My kitty's here. Hello. I don't think Buffy's feeling good today. Uh-oh. Hi, Squirt. <laughs> Sorry. I was petting my kitty. Um, so, with this revelation, especially with it only being a couple of hours old, the danger is much, much more present. So they call back in all of the scouts, right? They bring everybody back in as best they can. Um, and now they're going to be moving forward a bit more as a group. Still going to have a little bit of scouting, uh, but within visual range. They don't need a beholder starting to pick them off one at a time. Um, and while her friends aren't big keen on it, Dandy, you know, stresses, listen, of everybody here, I'm the best you've got. Uh, I'm going to be the one out front of the scouts and such, trying to find what we can. So they make their way and they continue in following, you know, the direction they were. Hi, you. Okay, give me one quick second, guys. One second. Don't look at my butt. I'm coming. I'm sorry. My kitty wanted some treats. She was hungry and she was poking me in my arm, letting me know she wanted some treats. There you go, Squirt. There you go. If I don't put them in front of her and shake them, it's like she doesn't know they're there. Silly girl. Okay. 
So they're making their way, continuing trying to find this beholder. After a few more hours of traveling, they, the land itself in this area is very heavily wooded. Okay? Um, and while the area itself has been slightly scouted by Serenity, they're well outside of Serenity's border land that they claim at this point. Um, so, definitely scouting it for any potential dangers and stuff over the last 25 years of Serenity's existence, 20-25 years. Um, they know that there's no real, other than Kenderhome, there's no other real groups of people that should be living up in this way. Um, Mercy is steering them in a specific direction, because based on the information she has, she has a thought. And this area, while heavily wooded, is also very hilly. They come to a point where there's a clearing in the trees, and they can see ahead of them uh, a larger hill, surrounded by trees all down the bottom of some trees going up the hill itself. But up on the top of this hill uh, are the ruins of what was at one point either a large castle or fort of some kind. Uh, stone ruins. Now, Mercy knew these ruins were here. And when they found the bear carcass so close to this, it was the first spot, based on her information, reports she's had from scouts over the years, it's the only other thing other than Kender home in this general area. Assuming nothing's, a village has popped up of some kind, or a roving band of goblins or something happening moving through the area, there's always that threat or danger. Um, but specifically that she knew these ruins were here. Um, and it could potentially be a place where the beholder was holding up. So when they arrive, they see that, sure enough, up in the distance, the ruins themselves uh, had been scouted by Mercy's people when they were first discovered. Nothing had ever been found there of value. Um, the ruins were hundreds of years old. Um, the majority of it had collapsed at this point. Most of the wood had rotted away. It was just the walls, stone-blocked walls and, and things of that nature. Uh, although in some areas, um, there were still some that could be appeared to be rooms, although anything of value inside of them was long, long gone. What happened to this kingdom or why it ended, there's no way to know. Again, it was so long in the past. Uh, there was not a, they did not find any you know, tons of bodies and armor on the ground that would imply a battle or anything took place here. Um, it's almost just like everybody just got up and left one day, and the place fell into ruins. Um, which could feasibly be part of it, or could be a situation uh, where a plague or a sickness came through, and the vast majority of people passed away that way, or left for fear of the sickness. So they just abandoned the area. There are a lot of reasons why things like that can happen. But seeing these ruins, everybody kind of agrees, yeah, it, it makes sense. It's the only thing in this area. Uh, let's go check it out, because it Beholder is intelligent. Many of them are. There are, again, I've told you that. There's different there's underwater beholders and there's space beholders. So lots of beholders. Dungeons and Dragons loves beholders. There are a lot of beholders out there, but the most traditional ones are intelligent and, and wouldn't just, you know, sleep under a tree. Uh, they're going to want some type of place to hold up in. Um, and since this beholder is new to the area, there's nothing to believe it'd been here long term. Uh, they don't believe there's probably any type of hidden fort or hidden new building. Uh, the Kender that did run across the Beholder didn't find... There were no reports of any other type of minions like it was traveling with anything or servants. So, they begin to make their way towards this, these ruins. Um, and they're traveling slowly and fanned out just a bit, still well within sight of each other. 
following the most important rules of keeping the squishies in the back. That's your clerics and that's your mages. Keep them protected behind your warriors and so on. And while there is the very faintest remains of what might have been an old road at one point, uh, it's so overgrown at this point it could barely be called that. Trees growing right out of the middle of it. They determine, Mercy, Mercy decides, that they're going to actually come at it from a slightly different side of the hill. Uh, further away from where the road or original entrance of these ruins would be. Although so many rocks have tumbled down, there's lots of ways to just walk into the ruins at this point. Um, it's barely one story high if there is anything. It's not like multi-story high castle at this point. It would be beyond repair. They'd have to tear it all down and start from scratch. Not a bad idea. There's resources in the area, but there's not any real reason to, if that makes sense. So they start making their way up a bit more steeper side of the hill. It's a little bit harder for them. They have to go slower, but because it's the less likely way a person would go, they're hoping that would make it a little bit easier to sneak up in. And most of the scouts are, are staying with the group at this point. The only one who's slightly ahead is Dandy. Um, but eventually they all reach very close to within range, within just a, a few you know, 20, 30 feet of the top of the hill. Now, reaching the top of the hill, there is some growth here. Uh, there's still a few trees growing out of the ruins and things, but most of it's still just rocks and shrubbery and, and still the remainders of, in many sections, still full walls up. Um, so, leaving the, as they're coming up the hill through the trees, they will have to leave the somewhat safety of the forest to enter into the ruins. Once again, it's determined that Dandy is going to try to go in and take a look first. Our friends don't like doing this, but everyone knows each other's strengths and capabilities. Uh, if anyone can go in there and at least find if there's a threat or the beholder in there without getting caught, it's Dandy. She's also the fastest, the smallest, and most likely to be able to get away uh, if she needs to. Um, Michael's not happy about it because he wants to go with her, but Dandy assures him that in this situation, especially with the... Um, not knowing how sturdy walls and things could be, she's going to have to go extra slow and carefully to make sure she doesn't make any noise. Uh, he's, she's trained him for years on how to move quietly and silently to help hunt undead, which is what they do. Um, but he's still, well, he's good at it, very good. He still can't hold a candle to Andy. So, as they're making, she, she starts moving forward and she finds a, a break in one of the outer walls and you know, she carefully just kind of slides over it. It's no more than knee-deep for her. Right about her knee height, so she's able to kind of slide over the rock and make her way into the ruins. Uh, very quickly, she starts trying to find her way higher. She wants to see as much of the ruins as she can from a vantage point. Um, and there are still leftovers, like the walls. Imagine if a piece of a wall crumbled out, right? So the walls kind of now are rocky walls, almost like a ramp or a staircase. She can use things like that um, and, and pieces of that rubble to hide behind as she's moving. Very quickly, she's able to, to, to find a somewhat vantage point. And as she's climbing up, she has to go, oh, I'd say about a third of the ways into the keep because they're coming from the side furthest from the entrance. Uh, the entrance leads into what was originally probably some type of courtyard. Um, and so where she's coming up, she kind of makes it up on what would be an outer wall, most of which is crumbled. And she can see, looking down into the courtyard, uh, that there's not 
almost anything of value, anything of, of note. It's mostly rubble, piece of rock that fell in, growth, undergrowth, so on and so forth. But she does see one thing that gives her pause. For, well, two things, but one is just the description. She can see that a part of the building is still relatively intact. And this was probably the most central chamber, which everything would have been built around it. This area still appears to have a roof over it and a fairly large inside area. Now, she's coming at this kind of from the side. So she can see the opening uh, to this room area, but she's kind of coming at it from the backer side. Uh, there's the door, if there was a door, is long gone. Just a big chunk of the wall is missing. So this room, imagine if you're in a square room and one wall's knocked out, right? That's what she's seeing, just this knocked out huge hole in what was probably a two-story section of this, of this building, of which the top part has caved in a little bit in parts. The wood stuff's gone, but it's mo most of the stone is still standing, the center part being the most stable. In this courtyard, the one thing that she does see that is out of place is a large buck, a deer. Very, very large one. Except it is not alive. There is a dead deer kind of laying in the courtyard. Um, she can see from where she's standing a little bit of blood to imply that uh, at some point it might have been dragged there. Um, but the overgrowth is enough that it's hard to see any real... She's only getting this from what little she can see of the crushing of the underbrush where it may have been pushed away while the body was pulled in. It's a big deer. Not as big as the bear. But it is mostly whole from what she can see, although it does appear that there are uh, large puncture wounds in its side, which could be teeth or something uh, of that nature, or maybe even large claws. Dandy stays there for several minutes, just kind of getting the lay of it, and she sees nothing else of value. She hears nothing of value, right? She doesn't hear anybody talking. She doesn't see any goblins or orcs or kobolds or any of the other minions that would very commonly be found working for a beholder. Again, the intelligent ones sometimes are crime bosses, uh, leaders of thieves' guilds. These things happen. <laughs> they're, they're big, they look like big old nasty monsters, and many of them are, uh, but they are very intelligent. Danny was about to start making her way a bit down closer into the courtyard when suddenly, about that time, she managed to see a small, uh, some kind of movement in the darkness through that hole in the wall that leads to the room. She quickly freezes back into her position, vantage point. She's about to start climbing over this wall. She's back in now, just barely looking over it. Dandy was, again, she's about to move closer when she sees moving in the darkness of the broken wall. As she stands there watching, something very large floats out of the hole towards the carcass. Dandy falls back and hides from view. Not a saw it float out, she hears a crunch to what she assumes is teeth biting into the carcass of the deer and then hears the noise that sounds like it being slid and pulled back inside through that hole into the remaining room. Dandy sits there, unmoving for minutes, afraid to make a sound. Now, I say afraid to make a sound, but not in fear. You'll remember Dandy is a kender, and kender are immune to fear, Right? 
Remember that. Can't hear me interfere. But she's also not stupid. She's been with her friends a long time. She's been through and she's seen some stuff. Dandy is sitting there, and in her mind, all she can do is silently curse and think the same thing. We didn't bring enough people. We're going to need a bigger army. So whatever it was that came floating out of there, Dandy is sitting there like, we do not have enough people to deal with that. What she sees, and what that is, and how they'll deal with it, is what we'll talk about next time we watch some more Merch Worlds. Uh, that's where we're going to call this one for the day. Um, run a little over an hour. <laughs> Today was very much mostly about the uh, Man in the Hat Draven meeting, which has been a long time coming, um, and setting up of some information that the heroes are going to need moving forward if they hope to help Seraph. And then we've helped place Mercy and, the, and those heroes uh, now at the beginnings of what is to be a much greater challenge than they thought they were taking on. Um, what exactly the challenge is, what they're facing, and what this could mean for the future of Serenity, uh, let's just say it does not bode well. Okay? But that is where we're going to call it for this week. Ran a little over an hour today, and man, it's toasty. I'm going to say we're hitting summertime now. If you're not, uh, if you're listening to this down the road, this Tuesday, June the sixth, it's starting to get warm in here, <laughs> and I'm sweating. But I'm going to take a rest. But um, thank you all very much for coming by and hanging out with me and letting me tell some more Merge World story. Uh, we'll be back again in two more weeks. Uh, we do this every other Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, so definitely, if you like what you heard, you have any feedback, you have any questions, please be sure to put them down in the comments, or you can come join our Discord channel. Uh, you can find links to that on my website, onlydraven.com, as well as links to uh, paintings and drawings of minis representing many of the different characters that I talk about in Merge Worlds. If you'd like to see what some of these people look like, uh, even what some of the gods look like. I've got many of them. Uh, swing by my website, hit the characters tab, and you can see uh, dozens of uh, different characters that I've spoken of over the years uh, and many who are still involved in the storyline today. Um, but again, if you have a... You, you listen to podcasts or you have an iTunes or a Spotify, sure would help out a lot if you wouldn't mind get swinging over there and giving us a follow the five stars, the likes, the reviews, the, 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 all the nice things. It would sure help. I'm always trying to grow the audience and getting my story into the ears of new people. But I really do appreciate all of you who come and listen to this every week, even if you listen to it later. I know not everybody can be here for the live streaming. Uh, I really appreciate everybody and the support on what is probably uh, my, my biggest passion project and the main, my favorite thing I get to do. Uh, involving with this channel. So I appreciate you all coming by. I hope I will get to see you again in two more weeks so we can uh, talk a little bit about Merge Worlds because next week uh, things are going to get violent. Thank you all so very much for joining me today. You have yourselves a great week and I'll see you again very soon. Thanks for coming. Mm -hmm.